If you're new to dental photography, or maybe you have a bit of experience, but you dabble, you're a dabbler and you want to get more consistent, then this episode with Dr. Ray Panacea, young dentist, will inspire you to pick that camera back up or learn the settings for the first time so you can start to even buy your first kit. Like we talk about buying the camera kit, why each component is important, the different settings that me and Ray are using. So hopefully that will inspire and uplift you. Hello, Petrus Rati. I'm Jazz Glati, and welcome back to another episode of Protrusive Dental Podcast. I just want to say that photography is so important to my mental health. I actually mean it. The days where I don't take any photos or I don't record any video content of my procedures, I don't feel great. I honestly, if I go like a few days without taking a photo, it means that I haven't been expressive, that I haven't been challenging myself, that I haven't been reflective. And without all those things, then I'm not enjoying my dentistry. So I find that the days I don't take photos, I don't enjoy as much, and I take more photos, I'm really reflecting more and perhaps doing something that interests me I just find I'm much happier so the key to my happiness in dentistry is rubber dam isolation and dental photography now on the topic of rubber dam isolation recently we had our webinar quick and slick rubber dam it was live it's now available as a replay for protrusive premium subscribers and one of the listeners one of the avid protrusorati Dr. Yor from Ghana he asked for a like a rubber dam bank he said yes I suggested it and he was like yes please so I was like okay let's do it so essentially some really good courses that I've been on they've got like examples of procedures for example uh, Dr. Neki Jamal's wisdom tooth course like he has so many examples of different wisdom teeth that he removes so sometimes I just watch okay I'm, I'm taking a tooth out that's similar to this one let me watch the video before I do the surgery right so in a similar vein I have so many examples of rubber dam isolation different teeth different tricky scenarios the coronoid process in the way the clamp doesn't fit or whatever various different scenarios different challenges when it comes to rubber dam isolation and I've created the rubber dam bank so this is as voted by you on our telegram group and on facebook an uncut version so i, I asked you guys do you want me to make it like polished and edited and you just see like a, a two minute highlight reel or do you want the entire three and a half four minutes that i spend moving my head and waiting for things whatever the real world account of rubber dam isolation you guys voted for you know what i want to see the uncut all the struggles all the raw version so i'm going to upload them all uh, and so by the time this episode is published on protrusive premium the premium clinical section you'll see a folder called rubber dam bank i might even think of a better name by the time this goes out but then all the examples of rubber dam are on there labeled by which teeth and what was interesting about it so hope you guys find that useful the protrusive dental pearl i have for you is regarding my philosophy on money now the reason i mentioned that is because one of my first paychecks that i got from work as a dentist i pretty much blew maybe 70 percent of it on a camera setup so a dslr camera setup i bought it secondhand at the time and it's still going strong my wife uses it now so the body the ring flash all important lens i'd you know, done my homework i'd done my research and i knew that i really wanted a camera at the time i was living with my parents so i was able to do that because i didn't have any rent to pay so i'm very grateful for that now tying this back in with my philosophy on money is, is the following any purchase i do if the intended purpose for me is temporary or something that I'm not using every day, then I will either borrow it if I can, rent it if I can, or buy the cheapest thing going basically, because it's not frequently used. Whereas if I'm using something every single day, then I'm gonna buy the best I can afford. And that's like a philosophy I just live by. Now, let me tell you where this screwed me up. For my 30th birthday, my wife would be embarrassed to say this. For my 30th birthday, some years ago, my wife got me an air fryer. Now, it's not a very fancy air fryer. It's a very basic air fryer, right? And it was, it's a small one. I was a little bit gutted. Like, okay, I, I smiled, I said, thank you. But it, deep inside, she knows this, because I joke about it. I, deep inside, I was like, what, this is it? My 30th birthday, you get me like a small air fryer? Anyway, I use the air fryer like all the time, right? I love my air fryer. So for an air fryer, something which I intend to use every single day, I'm gonna 
gonna buy, I should have bought Ninja, right? Well, she, she should have bought me a Ninja, but uh, we should have had a Ninja. Whereas with something I'm not using very often, then I'm totally cool to skimp out and cheap out on it. So just a philosophy I'd share with you. Maybe you follow this, maybe you don't. I'm happy to read your comments below in terms of how you manage your life. But when it comes to even dental things, right? If I'm gonna be using something, if something's important to me, like loops, I spend good money on loops, good money on dental photography, because I'm using it every single day. So I just wanted to share that with you before we now join the main episode with Dr. Ray Panacea, all about photography, the challenges and all the settings. And I'll catch you in the outro. Dr. Ray Panacea, welcome to the Petrus Dental Podcast. Fellow Petrusarati, how are you? Hi, Jazz. I'm good. Thank you very much. A big honor to be on this podcast. I've actually been following you for a long, long time as many of your listeners have been since I was a dental student, actually. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to be, to be on the show. How many years have you been qualified now, Ray? So I actually qualified uh, 2020, uh, class of COVID, <laughs> so which came with its own challenges, as I'm sure you can imagine. And many people had very uh, many similar challenges. <laughs> I, I didn't know that, Ray, actually, because when I see your work on, on social yeah. media, your clinical skills look way above your years, oh, firstly, you so much. well done. Thank you. Uh, and and when, when, you came to, when you came to visit me in the clinic and we spent some time yeah. together, I was really impressed by, you know, you in general. So you are... Yeah, years ahead of uh, uh, how many years you've been qualified. And so part of your journey once you qualify is the importance of getting into dental photography, which we're talking about today. We'll share our settings, how you got started. And some people might be thinking, well, if you're doing a podcast about dental photography, why don't I get someone like who does courses on dental photography? And, and, And whilst there is a beauty in that, we have that already in the podcast, I think there is a real magic and a real special thing you can gain from someone who's literally just been through the struggles right like imagine like it's a bit like when someone messages me saying jazz my nephew wants to go to den school can you help him with this personal statement and yeah. um, advice about getting den school like yeah i've done it okay but i'm so far away from the struggles that that, that person's going through that i can't really help i'm really excited to speak to you about, about this topic because it's still so fresh and raw and your photography is brilliant so Thank you've you. obviously accelerated through that but just before we go deeper into that just tell us a little bit about yourself yeah of course um yeah so my name is ray um i'm working as a general dentist in birmingham i qualified in 2020 from newcastle university uh, working fully private practice now did my foundation training in Leamington spa where i'm from originally um, to just move back home, really, just to to help save a bit of rent too, and um, yeah, so worked uh, in my foundation here in Leamington, which was great. Absolutely loved it. I'd probably say that's where I spend most time developing that those initial skills um, and confidence in dental photography, and yeah, so that's basically a bit of a summary about me. Lovely. And going private three years or coming on to four years, you know, onto your fourth year, mm-hmm. how do you feel about that? Is that something that you always felt like you needed to do or did you perhaps get the right opportunity at the right time? Tell us yeah, about Yeah, a bit of both really. So during my foundation year, I loved it. It was predominantly NHS, of course. Um, I think I probably better did any private work actually. But um, I think the beauty of the foundation year is that you know you, it is what you make of it uh, and that's the most important thing. I was very lucky that I had very kind of very supportive FD trainers, very supportive mentors. It, it fit my style of learning and, and kind of progression best because I'm very much, um, you know, I like to get, just get stuck in and, and find my own way and make my own mistakes. I know a lot of trainers are quite hands-on and, and that didn't really work with me and my, my trainers were very kind of hands-off, but you know, we're always there when I needed them. That worked very well for me so I could just crack on, make my own mistakes and, and that's why I learned best really. So uh, yeah, that's really where, where it all started. So, you know, getting yeah. into private dentistry so soon, did, were you nervous about it? And then as you, as you get into it now, uh, how's that been for you? Yeah, I was really nervous, to be honest. That, that first year, I thought, okay, I, I definitely wanted to expand the kind of clinical work I could do. And I could see in that system that there were quite a lot of restrictions and I couldn't do everything I wanted to. And, and I was lucky in the fact that, you know, I could just crack on and, and you know, there's many composite work, um, composite restorations that I could do um, posteriorly, which was 
not so much really expected of me. I was expected to do a lot of, you know, amalgams and sort of you know, get the UDAs in and that kind of, uh, the rigmarole of all that. But I actually really enjoyed that I could have the freedom to do what I wanted to. And that's really where it started for me because I had the freedom to do what I wanted to. I just did tons and tons of, you know, rubber dam works, some posterior composite work, which is really the bread and butter, you know, just, just uh, cracking on with getting rid of decay, caries and, and, and doing the basic, the fundamental work. So that helped me build my confidence initially. Um, I think I was just lucky and where I was was quite high needs. So I had tons and tons of work coming in to get through all of that. You got your reps in basically, right? And yeah. I'm just going to just at that moment, I'm going to say, I'm going to raise my glass yeah. of water yeah. to your trainers, oh, yes, right? Yeah. To your trainers, all right? Because that is exactly what you need, right? Someone to encourage a young dentist and you at school and not have to force them that, no, you must do amalgams and to give you that freedom. Did you feel like you had diary freedom? Absolute diary freedom, especially in the first sort of, let's say six or seven months or so. Having said that, the first two months, I say it was quite, you know, affected by COVID because remember, I just qualified summer of 2020. So the restrictions are quite, you know, still quite uh, profound. When I started, you know, I got fit tested and pretty much was just triaging for the first two months, I would say. Just a lot of phone calls and there and not much clinical work. I mean, I remember having my first extraction about, I think, maybe three or four weeks in and oh, was it was maybe a weekend or something. I can't even remember. But I remember being terrified about it and thinking, uh, and I'll never forget my nurse was with me and she sort of, you know, he handed me the instruments and sort of said, well, well, we'll crack on now. And I thought, well, is someone going to watch me? Is someone not going to help me with this? Like, <laughs> and I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget this because um, obviously in the dental school, you have, you know, a hundred different checks to go through before you actually put the forceps on the tooth or put a luxator on the tooth. And I remember in my head thinking, right, it's up an F6 and it's take out. So in my head, I started saying up an F6, up an F6. As I started going towards the tooth, and I found myself actually whispering it out loud. And I thought, oh God, like this patient's probably thinking, has he got any idea what he's doing? So I was like, up a six, up a left six, and um, got onto the four, <laughs> on, onto the tooth. Managed to get the tooth out, no fractures, which was great. So I'll never forget that. But yeah, a, a clinical, clinical, yeah, very small trainers, a lot of clinical freedom, could do what I wanted to. And yeah, I'd say the first six months is really, you know, I could just crack on to do what I wanted to. But so I knew I wanted to go down the private route uh, long term just because I knew really in my mind, good quality clinical dentistry has to come with time you know and like you you need good time to do things to the best of your abilities you know taking the extra steps taking the extra care to do what you want to do and how you want to do it as gold standard as you possibly can get it to be it just requires time and for me the nhs system wasn't conducive to, to that good care that i wanted to, to carry out so you know i used that year that you know very protected salary year to just do whatever i needed to do to get to build the foundational skills get my speed up and take the plunge into private. And by no means that I feel like I was ready. I don't think anyone could be that ready for it, but- I, I didn't feel ready either. You just had to take the plunge, I think. And and that's what it comes down to. I think, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be in that supportive environment where I built my confidence. I just sort of went for it really. I think the main lesson there for anyone listening is that you had a bit of luck, I think, Ray, yeah. by having the right trainers with Absolutely. the right mindset that, that had already, but, but, but you know, you made your own luck. You actually took that opportunity that you had and you really went for it. So well done. And there might be someone listening who's maybe 10, 12 years qualified thinking, man, I've been doing this kind of uh, high volume dentistry for, for so long and I want to do you know, nicer work and I want to do work, you know, I, I want to spend an hour and a half on the procedure where I'm only getting like, you know, 40 minutes at the moment. And so what they can gain from this is that, okay, maybe you missed your boat of that trainer year and having supportive trainers. There's nothing stopping you now from accepting a, a pay, pay cut 
oh, yeah. and booking longer for procedures and, and, and seeing less patients and to build your portfolio. And to do that, you need a camera. Need so camera, that leads yeah. nicely onto <laughs> dental photography, which is such a huge fundamental part. Before we go there, actually, I just want to share one more story because you, you mentioned that thing about you muttering upper left yeah. six, upper <laughs> left six. I just, hilarious. But when my wife was in a similar situation, so my wife's a dentist, she's a very petite and she, we, I think we were in Singapore and she was taking out a tooth and I came by because I was waiting for her. It was dinner time. It was like, you know, 8.30 p.m. and she was, she was doing a late clinic and I was waiting in the waiting room. You know, is she going to be, is she going to be done with that extraction yet or whatnot? Anyway, she, she struggled, bless her. She struggled, struggled, struggled. Okay. Uh, and then she finally got it out. It was like, oh, and she goes to the patient, are, are you okay? And the patient says, yes. And the patient generally said to her, like, are, are you okay? Like, the patient was really worried yeah. for, for Sim. So that, that I'll never forget that it's story as well. But yeah, all these little things at the beginning, it can be traumatic yeah. for, for, for everyone involved. But I'm well done for getting through that period and, and well done for applying yourself. I think that's what you've really Thank done. You, yeah. So as part of applying yourself, as part of building a portfolio, is taking photos. So how soon did you get a camera or get access to a camera? And how did you go about doing that? And I'll show you my story after you go. Sure. So I had a bit of a, an unconventional route into photography, I think. It actually didn't even start off about dental photography at all. I mean, having joined societies like the British Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry when I was an undergraduate, that's where I got advice from, you know, colleagues I, I looked up to and things. They advised me, first things first, get loops and a camera. That's it. Just forget everything else. Loops, camera, forget about fancy courses and all of that for now. Just get those two things and crack on with that. And so I knew I was going to do that in, in, you know, from, from day one, really. So uh, what I did was when I qualified, I invested in a camera and all the equipment in that summer after I qualified. And of course, it was COVID year. We had plenty of time. Wait, before, before you started, before your first paycheck? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before. So I actually, luckily, well enough, luckily enough, I had a bit of money coming in for, for my birthday that year was summer. So I kind of said, you know what, everyone, if you want to give me something, just please help me contribute to getting a camera. That's all I want to do, really. So I thought, I, I, I just saw the opportunity of a good two or three month period where we've got nothing to do, no responsibilities, you know, COVID, the whole world's locked down. Why not just use this time to hit the ground running come September, get my camera, get the equipment? Because, you know, as tech savvy as I, as I think I am, you know, I, I had no idea how to use an SLR camera, you know, no clue about the settings. It was all a minefield for me. So I thought, yeah, let me use this time as wisely as I can. So I got all the camera equipment and uh, I just sort of started in that summer. And actually, I thought, well, I used to have this as, as a, one of my old pastimes of uh, doing origami as a kid. And um, I used to love it, actually, as a kid. I used to love doing origami. And I sort of just forgot about it over the years. And I thought... Ray, did you go to private school, mate? Did you go, did you go to private no, school? No, no, I didn't, know. <laughs> I didn't, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a private school thing to do, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I didn't. I, I, was just a, I was just a dork, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying. Um, yeah, so I, it, was, it was a thing I did as a kid uh, a lot, actually. And so I thought, let me use the summer. And I've got this camera. I enjoy doing origami. I've got all this time. Why not just sort of combine the two passions, learn about a setting, learn about the photography, the lighting aperture you know shutter speed and all of that by doing something i love and you know i've got time to kill so what i did was i spent the whole summer just doing these little micro nano origamis literally about that big of different animals and you know objects and things and please, I, please send me a few yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna what, 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 you know for those who are watching this obviously people listen yeah. to spotify and stuff but those who are watching i'll just i'll just bring a few up on the screen that'd be nice 100 percent. yeah <laughs> i actually made an instagram page for that actually which is a bit of fun uh <laughs> it was called crease marks and i made that page just just for some fun family and friends and it also helped me really understand you know like focus um, on tiny objects uh, good lighting and how to change things to get what i want so i thought that's you know a good way to learn about settings so you know there, there was no courses i don't know what to do i just thought i've got this time i've got this passion let me just see see what go, what happens really so i did loads of but courses. how did you know what was the correct kit to buy 
for dental photography. How did you come to know that? Um, and then what, what did you actually end up buying and where from? Okay, so yeah, I got the the advice from from various colleagues that I, I could see on Instagram that had already been, you know, churning out loads of great photography, you know, various dentists on Instagram. One particular that I have to give a shout out to is Dr. Celine Higton. So she's, you know, she turns out amazing work, phenomenal um, rubber dam work. And um, I remember seeing the stuff that she was putting out amongst many other great, great dentists. And I thought, you know what, let me just, let me just uh, ask her uh, about her opinion of what she, what she has, what she kind of uses. So, so I kind of DM'd her, asked her about her, um, her equipment and, and other people as well, colleagues that, you know, I went to university with. Um, so I'm sure, you know, um, Ferdy Chum as well, does a great course himself um, on photography. So, you know, people like that, the, the, who I consider great photographers, I basically just asked them, you know, what, what can I start off with? What's a, what's a good baseline bit of equipment that I can use to, to then develop on? You know, I don't want anything too fancy. You just want to get the basics done right and I went from there really so from people I spoke to they preferred Canon and, and I just thought let me go with what, what I know works so I got a Cameron a Canon uh, body camera body which one I got the Canon Do you remember the name? yeah it EOS 250D 250 okay yeah 250D because mm. I kind of wanted a mid-range one it was a crop frame sensor which we can come back to in a bit um so I got that one it was yeah it did the job it was kind of a good all-rounder I thought but did you get the brand new or you just give me a bit more detail where you got it yeah from. so there's a, a website called e-infinity e-infinity I think I could at UK uh, is the website I can send you the link afterwards but it's a really good website and everything was brand new uh, I think they're actually coming from somewhere around Hong Kong area and I got, I can't remember exactly where I got the link from, but I remember finding out about it. Um, and I checked out the link and it actually comes with the body and a baseline uh, 65 millimeter lens, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So like a general all round. Which is not suitable for, for which the is dental not photo suitable cross, for, but for use. Exactly. Yeah. So it came as a bundle and I thought, well, you know, you know, why not? If it comes included, I'll get that. And it was a bit uh, cheaper than buying it from straight from Canon or, or a regular retailer. So I, I went, Do you remember exactly how much for the body? Oh, testing me now. I think it was... I think both of them together, because I bought it as a bundle, I'm guessing around 350 to 400 pounds. This is for like basically the body and the lens. The body and the lens I came with, right? so, exactly, yeah. So, okay, yeah. fine. So let's just yeah. call that, yeah, 350, 400, because I'm trying to make, build a picture of how much you should be spending for your first camera, Absolutely, you see. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what about the ring flash then? So the ring and, flash, and the lens. yeah, the ring flash I got actually, it was, um, it's called KNF Concept, and it's a really good third-party ring flash. I didn't go for Canon's oh, wow. own one because obviously it was like extortionate. And it was ninety pounds. It was an absolute steal. And you know what? I have to say, it performed so well. I've still got it, and it blew my I mind. I need a link. I need a link. Abs- I'm going to put this out for the British royalty because that sounds amazing. Honestly, I can't speak highly enough of it. And it was. It's not LED, is it? It's not LED, is it? I, I, I think it is. I don't think it's LED. No, I'm not entirely certain exactly what what the light. It's a proper was. flash, right? Yeah, it's yeah, not oh, like no, these no, little no, tiny not, little bulbs. No, no, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, the yeah. little mm-hmm. dots. No, no, it's an actual. Yeah, it's actual yeah. flash. Yeah, which which honestly worked wonders. Okay. It was as good as a photography, sorry, the camera that I used at dental school. And it was about, it looked about the same. So and the, the pictures coming out really well lit, good exposure. And, and I was really happy with it. So I thought, my to quid, why not? So I used that, mm-hmm. which was a, a, you know, a great bargain, I thought. So I used that first. And I, I, exactly right. That's why I started off with a ring flash, because it was kind of a, a very good yeah. all-rounder. Does a job for both anteriors, posteriors. And yeah, it was a great way to start. A really simple. What, what about the lens? The lens, I got uh, the 100 millimeter macro lens, that Canon's own one. And from, from speaking to other colleagues, I found out that, you know, really the lens is the most important part of it, of it all, really. You can get a, a body secondhand, no problem. And even the flash, but the lens is really, if you're going to invest in something, invest in a good lens, I, I was told. So so I got Canon's own uh, lens, which I think I did get off the same website, the E-Infinity website. So that came from there and uh, it's it's been great. I mean, I, I know a lot of people uh, advocate the use of 60 millimeter lenses, which is also fantastic. They're, they're both macro lenses. So, you know, especially for, for small close-up objects and photography. 
but I went for the 100 millimeter and, and yeah, I've been really happy with it ever since. Yeah, same here and I'll talk about that. But I just want to know how much was, did you get your lens for? The lens was, was, was definitely more pricey. So actually, it was actually the same price as both the body and its stock lens combined. So it was about, I think it was about 450 pounds actually, 450 to 500, but just over that. Brand new? That looks about reasonable. Bra That's brand new. Brand it new. was brand new. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. that was great. Okay. Before I talk about my kit then and how I got it, yeah. do, do you want to have add anything else to your first, the, the story behind your first camera? Well, I kind of moved on from the, uh, for the ring flash. So I used the ring flash for about the first two months when I started using it in my FD year. Then once I sort of felt more confident in that, I thought, you know what? I want to take this to the next level if I can, because I'm sure you're aware as well. You know, we're... That was quick. Yeah, yeah. That was very quick. I, I, Two months. Yeah, I, I just thought, well, this is kind of, I don't know, it was very, what I thought were very lifeless photos, I thought, because you get this sort of, this harsh, uh, you know, light shining back from the, from the teeth in photography, which is great. You know, it does, it gets a job done, but I, I wanted to take my photography to the next level if I could. And, you know, as you can probably tell, I'm very much just, just throw yourself in. If it works, if it works, if it doesn't, there's ways to, you know, just work it out. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people, you know, the great thing about this community that we're in is that you can always get advice of someone or the other, you know, you can always get an opinion or, or help with settings. So I thought, why not invest early and just, just, just start the ground, you know, hit the ground running with it. So I get invested in a twin flash after that, which actually, once again, the third party one, and I can send you the link to that as well. It's called the Mikey twin flash. So it's similar to the other ones I like young know, but I, once again, I just avoided the Canon Zone one because although it's it's great and it's, you know, first party, does the job well, communicates with the body, I just thought, let me just get something a bit more budget friendly for, for this stage. And I've been really happy with that. Brilliant. Now, bef before we continue, like, would you say that for those listening and they're buying their first camera, should they perhaps, maybe you say this, maybe they should just bypass the ring flash and go for the twin flash? Or do you think that they should start with the ring flash? To give you an example, I've been on the ring flash 10 years. I bought the twin flash as well, by the way, the Canon oh, yeah. one. It's been the boot of my car for, for yeah. six months. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe four months because that's when Sean was, Sihan was born. So it's been the boot of my car for four months, basically. I'm, uh, but, but yeah, I'm going to, you know, next week I'm going to do it. I'm going to it up basically but yeah it took me you know all these years i've been using my ring flash basically and yes you're right there are some downsides with it but in terms of consistency and a lot of the posterior yeah. work i do it's it, yeah you can't you can't beat that basically but you know what, what would you advise a hundred percent ring flash you know what you're not going to go wrong with it it's a great you know starter in photography if you want to just get confident you know and, and not worry about the the kind of the more i suppose glamorous photography that you can see on instagram if you want to just get it to build your portfolio and, and really for yourself Ring flash is great. It works amazingly for anteriors and posterior work. It's a lot less technique sensitive. Whereas twin flash, you know, it, as you said, it's got, they both have the pros and cons, but with a twin flash, you just get much better, a sort of a softer lighting, especially when you combine it with things like soft boxes, diffusers and things, but it is a lot more technique sensitive and don't get me wrong. What, you know, I threw myself head in and it was a bit of a nightmare to begin with, because especially posterior photography, it, it, it wasn't very good. I had to really just practice and practice and practice to get my head around what to do with it with, with a twin flash and then and then you get to the stage where you can kind of combine it with things like uh, you know, brackets and things to kind of get the best of both worlds I think the good thing about a wireless twin flash setup is that you can you can modify it with with things like brackets to actually get the same effect as a ring flash but also have the versatility of a twin flash when you combine it with things like brackets so for me, it was it was a no-brainer, and, and I guess that helps you to get the consistency as well, the, the correct angles every time Absolutely, to get yeah. consistent photo from this. one month to the next month on the same patient, right? Absolutely, a hundred percent, yeah, exactly, because it has the markings on it, so you can always refer back to that, keep a mental note of it. But but I would say the you know, general advice would be, you know, I threw myself in maybe probably a bit too prematurely, but you know, a ring flash is a great you know all rounder. Just start off with that, keep it simple, 
and just kind of you know build your confidence with that yeah you know, for anyone listening and thinking about buying their first setup with the flash all right well i'm gonna, I'm gonna share my story then i got the, the uh, i'm holding it for those who are watching but those who are listening i'm holding it's now my wife's camera as a hand me down to her uh, it's a canon canon 60d 60d so why 60d is because just like you spoke to some people there's a dentist i really respect uh, i'm sure you know him richard field yes you know richard yes field? absolutely yeah and I know, Richard, you're listening because you're a producer, Arati. Uh, and uh, I saw him post some amazing work. And on Tubule, someone asked him which camera and stuff. And he said he was using a 60D. So I was like... I'm going to do what Richard does. So it was like nine years ago, so yeah. uh, ten, 10 years ago. Okay, I, I, I bought myself a, a, a Canon 60D. Obviously, my work in photography is nowhere near as good as his, but no. I felt like uh, Richard when I had held the 60D in my hand, right? So I got yeah. the 60D, but I got it used from, and, and the top tip here, I got it from Gumtree at the time. I think it's discontinued now, but you could probably still get a used one. And I got it for £250 at cash on Gumtree. And the trick is you buy it from someone who is a photographer who's just like upgraded their kit so you know they've looked after it well, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you can always usually bargain them down as well so that was 250 for the body and to be fair it's been 10 years and you know sim uses them now and her photos are, are, are fine they're, they're great uh, so if, if you were to get a 60d canon body for like 80 quid from a garage sale kind of thing go for it there's nothing wrong with the body because I, I agree with you ray the lens is the most important bit like 100 percent. the body is the least important i would say yeah agree now one thing that i know manish patel is quite hot on for the right reasons is that you want to have a kit that is really light 100 yeah because i think the reason why my photos are good and are consistent and i don't have an issue taking occlusal photos and my occlusal photos are very good is because uh, i can hold my camera with one hand mm-hmm. if i could not hold my camera with one hand my photos would significantly have an issue my Occlusal photos would be pants, uh, and therefore you got to start looking, comparing the grams of the, of your complete setup as well. Basically, that or you got to do more bench press. So <laughs> one, one, one of the two, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I, I got the ring flash, uh, which is the, no, I got the sorry the lens. Let's talk about the lens now. Uh, also of Gumtree used, but this is an interesting story here. Is I was messaging the guy on, on Gumtree, and I don't know why he started emailing me, and he thought I was a he thought I was a woman. Right? Okay, <laughs> and then like each email exchange got more and more flirtier from his side. I was doing none of it, right? From his side, he was finishing with k- kisses and stuff, and I'm like, bloody hell, what have I done here? Because right? now this big hairy beardy bloke's gonna walk up, and he might retract his offer. Yeah, it could take it up to your advantage actually. <laughs> so, to get him down even further. <laughs> I got him down to about two fifty for the lens, mm. okay, and to meet him in like a halfway location. But then I couldn't show up just by myself, so I took my sister to pretend to be me. Oh, okay. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> to, 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 to take the lens yeah. so it is a Canon 100 meter lens and yeah it's still going strong still amazing uh, and then the ring flash uh, I got also from like Gumtree I remember meeting the woman who had it at like King's Cross Station and randomly met her yeah. and stuff so this was two months into my uh, first year, year out of dental school so DF year and my first paycheck went towards it basically so okay. about 60% of my first paycheck went to I mean I, I spent like 750, 800 pounds basically on all the retractors and everything in the, in oh, the camera. Yeah. that's so, pretty good yeah, uh, for something that's still being used today mm-hmm. oh yeah no it's a great investment and like yourself like with the accessories which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit like that is just you know a really crucial part of it all and, and I'm a very big proponent of you know just invest in yourself invest early on you know I have a lot of colleagues asking me oh, but you know but, but I can't get my, my, my principal to get me this equipment or, or that equipment or that you know, uh, material. And it's, you know, I think it's, you have to invest in yourself with this, like photography, you know, composite work, rubber down work, everything you want to do, you do have to have an element of, let me invest in myself. Let me get the things that I want to do because it, it does have an ROI. Massively. It does have a return on investment. When you invest in yourself and your skills and your photography and your composite, it does yield dividends. Hugely, hugely, exactly. And it, it, you know, exactly a return on investment. And it's just, it's a no brainer. You know, if you want to really excel in this career and this profession, I think you need to invest in yourself. And um, I've taken that advice from 
from various colleagues and you know, mentors and people like yourself, people, everyone that I listen to have all told me the same thing. Just invest in yourself. Like just bite the bullet, you know, make the investment and, and, and you'll you know, reap the rewards later on. So you had your uh, camera set up. Yeah. Uh, I had my camera set up around a similar time. You got there a little bit before me in, in your career. And how did you figure out which settings you were going to use? Okay, yeah. So uh, once again, this is something that I got from, from various articles, reading online. I know Canon actually, um, they've actually published their own document uh, on dental, specifically for dental photography. So that, no way. Yeah, Canon, they actually have specific, uh, I suppose, members of staff that they've actually set aside to, to work out the best settings for photography. And there's a really good document, a really good PDF I'll send to you. And uh, I was amazed. I I'll thought, put I it in the show notes, yeah. Yeah, because I, yeah. I thought maybe Canon, you know, the, why would they really bother with doing something so niche but actually amazing that they've done this really good document to outline your kind of settings the, the best sort of iso best shutter speed aperture for various different purposes and that helped me initially actually from from day one i used that as a, as a guideline and then i kind of used that and i thought you know i'm, I'm not going to go on any courses just yet i just want to just really get a feel for the for the settings myself you know in my hands and it works find out what works for me and uh, actually, once again, a bit of an unconventional story. I honestly used to do the weirdest things to try and work out how lighting photography works. Like, I would honestly come home from work and just, I'd get my sister, because I've got some older sisters, and I'd get their, their makeup mirrors, honestly. And because I didn't have my own, you know, dental mirrors at the time, I used their makeup mirrors, run them under some warm water so that they don't fog get them to lie back uh, and just take photos in their mouths just you know with my camera oh, I, love I would that. just use them guinea pigs left right and center i'd use and abuse <laughs> everyone around me just to just to try and, and practice and you know i'd do things like get peace because I, I would see manesh's work on, on instagram i'm sure we're all very it's incredible what he does and i saw these diffusers these bounce cards that he uses and i thought let me just see what what effect this sort of white material does and I, of course i didn't have the diffusers on me but I just got two pieces of white paper, slapped them around my twin flash, and just saw what happened. And, you know, I, I just experimented. I mean, the photos came out really dark and horrible, but, you know, I could see what it was doing to the to the photos, to the smile. I could see where the way he was going with all of this. And, and I just sort of stumbled my way through. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm by no means an expert in any of this. I just stumbled my way through it to find out what worked, and I would change settings. I would change the ISO, change the aperture, and, and see what would work. And it really is a case of trial and error. So, you know, I went with a baseline, mm -hmm. so, you know, with, with aperture settings, so 1 to 20, so an f-stop of 20. Well, before we go through, before we run through the settings, right, let's go through each setting, what you use, what I use, and then why you use what you use, and, and then, then we can explain for the complete beginner what each thing means. I think that'd be useful to do it in that order. But I just wanted to say, common thing, common theme is that, oh, I started taking photos, but I wasn't happy with the images, images and mm. uh, I was struggling, and I gave up. So what I find is that the dentists who give up, they are losing interest too quickly and they're not going through the necessary pain to evolve through it. You need to go through that pain and frustration initially. There's no shortcut for that. You need to have that experimentation phase and you said it, trial and error. So you must be prepared for trial and error. You must be prepared to look at your camera and you think, what the hell is this, <laughs> right? We, meanwhile, Instagram, you're seeing everyone's amazing photos and you're thinking, what on earth is this? But it'll take you a thousand photos before you actually can see, oh, actually, yeah, this yeah. kind of looks like this one on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. And you hit the nail on the head there, Jad. It's a labor of love and it all stems from I suppose, the mindset, right? You have to have that mindset of, I will fail. I will... A growth mindset. Yeah, exactly. Growth mindset and, and just throwing yourself in there and having that passion to kind of just go for it. 
as you said yourself, you, there's a th- for every good Instagram photo, there are a thousand terrible, awkward, badly positioned photos that you just think, I hope these never see the light of day again. And yeah, but you know, that, that's what that's where you learn from the most, right? As with everything, you know, and let's say bad root canal or bad denture you make, there's always something to learn. It's the same thing with dental photography. It's, you know, it's, you're going to learn so much from your failures and, and I've got plenty of them myself. So, you, you, and I, I posted myself on Instagram when I finished my foundation year, I mean, I posted just as a summary of the year where I'd kind of grown from, from my really bad, awkward photos, you know, bad exposure, really dark and poorly lit to what, what I was producing at the end, which is a little bit better. And it's a painful process, but you have to be prepared. Like you, as you said, you have to allow yourself to fall, to stumble, to then pick yourself up and think, oh, do you know what? I'm actually getting the hang of this now. And and it's a great feeling when you get, when you finally get there. And you know, you're always improving. You, I still, I still have days where I have bad photos and, you know, silly things. I forgetting to put the, you know, the memory card and the, you know, it all happens so sore, but you have to get uh, used to it. And you said yourself, you know, people who are maybe listening and thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting so disheartened by it. You know, we all get disheartened by that, but you have to just keep going, you know, keep carrying on and, and you'll get there. It, it really is important to just have and, that and, and going on for that, uh, a, a lot of dentists, they feel that, oh, let me pick the, let me wait for the right case to start oh, taking no, photos. Yeah. Well, if you're going to wait for the right case and then you're going to take a crappy photo yeah. on, 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 the, on the right case, yes. then you'll never actually improve. The, tr- the trick is something like, as simple as, uh, making a vow to your nurse mm-hmm. and so you get some accountability uh, and make sure the camera's out there and ready it should not be something that you have to you know put together what's the, what's the word what's the word assemble. what's the opposite word of assemble, dismantle yeah. assemble yeah, yeah. okay you shouldn't have yeah. to you shouldn't have to assemble the bloody yeah. camera setup just before you're about to take photos that is like the most boring two minutes of anyone's lives right so, so the retractors the mirror everything should be ready to go you just gotta pick it up and shoot even the settings should be there already exactly so uh, practice on every single every single new patient every single checkup if you can can as well and then when when the right case comes along your photography will be much better exactly now right just talk us through then your settings so i want to know about so for the settings for a uh, three to one magnification ratio so just a frontal smile shot okay okay what are the settings that you're using at the moment and then i'll compare to mine and then we'll talk about what each like what does aperture mean what does iso mean and then why you chose that setting sure okay yeah so for a three to one aspect ratio where you get a full smile view so from a frontal or the kind of lateral smile views, I've got kind of two different settings. So depending on what flash I'm using. So as I said, I'm still learning myself about, about how to manipulate the flash and adjust things correctly. But when I'm using a ring flash, I kind of keep it to the, the, the standard setting of um, f-stop of 20. And then I use an ISO of 100. That never changes for me. The ISO just stays the same. ISO 100 to keep the uh, the noise to a minimum, which we'll get onto in a bit. And then my shutter speed stays at uh, 1 200th of a second. So I keep that uh, as mm. it is. Because of course, you know, in photography and dentistry, things are not moving very fast. So you keep that uh, as a setting. So those two pretty much are constant. The only thing I ever change is the aperture. Now, when I started using my twin flash and combined it with softboxes, that's when I had to change a little bit. So I kept all the, the kind of the power settings for the flash the same because I don't want to mess around with that too much. But what I noticed with it, but the, with the flash itself, the I mean, power is it? Are you doing ETTL or are you doing like one over one or like one over two? I, I, I do I do one over one or one over two. I, I think more recently I've stuck stuck to one over two just because it seems to work for me. I don't want to change anything. Even for the ring flash. Even for the ring flash, yeah. Exactly. It seemed to work okay. fine for me. But then, but then here's the thing, though. Like, you, I know we'll come on to this, but when you're going to now zoom in to the teeth, yeah, you're gonna, you're, you're constantly having to change your flash, you are, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, what I do is actually change. I change the aperture in that in that case. I change the aperture because I'm getting closer in. I'm not too concerned about depth, so I just change the aperture, and ah. it seems to work for me actually. I, I know a lot. Of, okay. A, a, lot, a, a lot of dentists who, you know, for example, Manesh again. I know he sort of uh, advocates use of, of ETTL. 
a lot of times mm-hmm. and many other colleagues of mine do the same thing personally I've, I've been happy with using manual I, all of my settings are manual my my lens my my actual uh, my settings for my camera body uh, my flash everything's always manual so I like to have that kind of full control over everything mm-hmm. and for me it, it just works really well so as I get closer for close-up up shots I just change the aperture uh, and it seems to do the job for me reasonably well so I, I kind of stick to that and I don't want to mess around too much but um when I've tried UTTL I, I find that it kind of overexposes and it sort of just confuses my body a bit and um, I don't really know how to, how to fix it uh, so yeah I'm, you're a proper control freak oh yeah massively yeah, yeah. I'm a creature of habit if it works you know, if, if, if it ain't broke don't fix it so it works for me yeah I, I, might, I might be missing a trick I might I might be you know uh, able to improve on it but uh, for the time being I'm, I'm happy with my setup at the moment so yeah I think let's talk advantages and disadvantages the the disadvantage of, of doing it the way you're doing it is that you have to you know be very good and slick at remembering mm-hmm. okay what is the aperture I usually go to Absolutely. when I'm this zoomed in and when I'm this zoomed out you have to constantly tweak uh, you have to be a tinker man you have to keep changing you with your settings whereas if you're if you're ETTL you're just changing uh, the magnification and you just let the flash work out so that's what ETTL Absolutely, means yeah. ETTL looks and thinks hmm how much light do I need for the scenario <laughs> and we'll just throw out the right amount of light but where you win Ray uh, is when you're doing whitening for example you've got someone who's like a D4 or something mm-hmm. right um, <laughs> and you take it at your half power flash right and then when they come back uh, six weeks later and then you take a photo again at half power flash um, their lips their skin everything's t- yeah. in the same colour but the teeth have whitened so you see a true photography uh, whitening change Whereas when you do an ETTL, because the teeth are now whiter, the the the, the program thinks, mm. "Whoa, it's too much white here. Yeah. Let's make the image really dark," and it changes. And then now you're not getting consistency. You're seeing that the skin is lighter, the lip is lighter. So you're doubting actually if the whitening's even work. So to get really consistent uh, photographs when the color of the teeth have changed, mm-hmm. your way uh, is the superior way. Yeah, no, definitely, you're right. Absolutely right. And consistency is the key for all dental photography. I mean, you know, with, with the magnification, with with everything to do with this, consistency, consistency is is the key word here exactly right there mm-hmm. yeah. and, and so I'll just share my settings and we'll talk about how they might differ from yours and they're very similar so yeah. my aperture is 1 over no, it's 22 f22 okay Okay, so yours is using 20, I'm using 22, very yeah. similar. Uh, my shot speed is 1 over 125, yours is 1 over 200, so very very similar. It sounds like a big difference, but yeah, in no, the photography it's, world, that's it's literally that's nothing. Anything. Yeah, it's negligible. Uh, and I'm using ETTL, except now when I'm doing whitening and stuff and I'm, when I'm uh, focused on consistency, I will go to about a quarter flash, which seems okay. to, because after experimentation, I found that that's what gives me the right image. Mm-hmm. If I put half flash for myself with my setup, then it overexposes my images. So that's where the trial and error needs to come in. So now that we covered our, our settings, let, you know, do you, want, do you want to go through what each thing actually means for the complete newbie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I've also got a good diagram um, that I can send you that really summarizes beautifully, uh, which I just pulled off Google Images really. Just to start off with aperture. So there's kind of three main settings. So aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. Okay. So uh, starting off with aperture. So if you imagine, if you think of your, your lens, almost like an eyeball, like a human eye. Okay. So we get that sort of pupil closing and opening when you have various different light settings or ambient light around you. So when you, add, when you do have a lot of light, of course, your your pupil you know, widens so allow more light in. So it's very much akin to that. So with aperture, it's based on numbers. So it's called the f-stop. So if you see f1, f2, f3, and so on, that basically is referring to the aperture of the, the camera setup. So when you have, it's actually an interesting one because it's, it's, it's a bit of a misnomer. It's the opposite of what you think it is. So when you have a higher number for the aperture actually the, the the hole in the camera lens tightens and gets smaller and smaller 
allowing less light in. And when the f-stop is lower, so let's say f, f1, f2, it means that the lens is actually opening a lot wider to allow more light in. So what happens is you get a much brighter image when you have a lower f-stop number because the aperture is wider. But with this, you also get that more depth of field effect in your photo. So let's say you have like a... I think it's called bokeh. Is it called bokeh? Exactly. I don't know how you yeah, yeah, it. yeah, the bokeh effect. Exactly. That's right. So the bokeh effect yeah. basically is when you have uh, different layers to an image. Let's say you're standing in front of a, a, a subject and there's a mountain behind them. And you have the, the person, let's say, uh, in focus. It's all about the focus of an object. So that person will be in focus, but the mountain or whatever's in the background will be a lot more blurry, actually. So, um, and if you have a, a higher f-stop, so let's say f20, 25, 30, so on, the higher you go, the, the more in focus everything in the image will be. So it'll look like mm -hmm. it's more of a flat mm -hmm. image. So that, that's really what, what aperture is. It's basically about two things, that how much light you're allowing in physically into the, into the camera body to capture the image, which means you get a brighter image, but also the depth of, of focus of, of the image. If you want everything to be in focus, you go for a higher, generally a higher f-stop value. So f, f20, f22, so on, for data photography. And if you want something to look more blurry. Yeah, which is why like, if you're, if you're taking yeah. like, an occlusal photo and you really want to see every single tooth, this is why we're going for the f20, f22, f exactly. I know some colleagues do f32, exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, you want everything in focus. Whereas if you want to get an arty-farty yeah. uh, focus shot on one aspect of a composite or one aspect of a restoration posteriorly, and you want everything else, the tongue and everything blurry, you'd go for a lower f number. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. So that, that's kind of the more, the more complicated one, I think. It just, it's just about remembering that's the one that it's opposite to what you think. So the higher the number, the, the less the, light. The, the reason in. for that, though, the, the, for those who are into maths and did maths at GCSEs and A-level, is because actually it's it, F4 is 1 over 4. Yes, that's okay? right, yeah. And, and 1 over 4 is, is 0 0.25. It's a much larger number mm. than you know uh, F20, which is 1 over 20. 1, 1 over 20 is one, you know, 0 0.05. Exactly. So if, you, if you're mathematically minded, you know, it's not F4, F20. If you think about 1 over 4 and 1 over 20, and then you realize that actually uh, you're letting in less light because it's actually mm -hmm. smaller that higher the f-stop so yeah for some of you for some of the some people that like, i hate numbers yeah and i never want to hear that again but other people that like, oh now it makes sense so there we are absolutely yeah that's right so so that's aperture and then when you come down to things like shutter speed so shutter speed is is, is exactly what it says on the tin so how, how the camera body works so that it allows a certain amount of, of light onto the, the the sensor inside the body to capture the image okay and it basically works like like an eyeball again blinking okay so when you blink it allows a certain light in and you can see what's going on around you. It's very similar to the camera body here. So with with a shutter speed, once again, it, it goes in terms of seconds. So you can have a long shutter speed. So, you know, when the camera body, the, the sensor is open for multiple seconds, all the way down to absolute tiny fractions of a second. So what happens is, I suppose I can compare it to, you know, the sort of really arty-farty images of um, people holding that in you know, bonfire night and they've got those really nice glow sticks and things. And you can kind of see almost like it's tracing in the air. And they take those really nice photos of, you know, various objects, you know, the drawing in the air almost. That's when you have a very long shutter speed. So so the shutter is taking a long, imagine a, a, a garage door closing down. It's taking a long time to close and that allows more of the light to come in and, and affect what's on the sensor, what, what the sensor is receiving. So you can see that sort of long dragged out effect of the glow stick or, or the, the, the firecracker or whatever it is. While the subject is still moving, exactly. right? So while the subject's still moving, exactly. it's still capturing all that because it's open. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then you get down to the, the really fast moving objects. Okay, so let's say you're, you're talking about, let's say, you know, most classically you think of wildlife photography. So 
you think of a cheetah running, you know, something like that is just, it's just going to look like a blur. Okay. You're going to get a very blurry photograph. So the way you capture the, the, the running cheetah in that split second is you actually want to have a really fast shutter speed so that it captures that moment of when the, the cheetah is running or jumping or whatever it is. Okay. So you have a really, really fast shutter speed. And this is, you know, fractions of a second. And, and as I said before, light aperture, it's, is denoted as one over a number of fractions of a second. So let's say one over 200 is a one two hundredths of a second. That's how fast the shutter speed um, is at that moment. So it can capture something moving very fast. So really, it's about it's about the object, the thing that you're trying to capture. How fast is it moving? Ask yourself that and think, if it's moving very fast, I want a fast shutter speed to, to match that. And if it's moving very slow, you don't have to have as much of a, you know, as quick a fast, a, a quick a shutter speed for that. With dental photography. So then, so then why, yeah, so I was going to say, why then for dental photography are we using uh, something like more fit for a cheetah rather than yeah. <laughs> the fireworks? Exactly, well, exactly. Well, to be honest, with a cheetah, you're probably looking a bit, a bit faster than one over 200, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, but with, with dental photography, it's, it's kind of a balance. It, it's a really, it's a good balance between all of the various factors, the aperture, how much light's coming in, the, the shutter speed and the ISO. It really, it just gives the, the best all around image uh, mm-hmm. for that kind of speed. One over 200, one over 125. Both of them will do do the same thing. And you're, unless you're treating someone like, I know Usain Bolt who's sort of running by you <laughs> as, 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 you know, as you're taking um, the photo, patient's going to be pretty still, pretty, you know, to be honest. So all you need- But if, you, if you've got a shaky hand, if you've got a shaky hand and you're using anything lower, then that's going to uh, mess up your image. But if you have got a slightly shaky hand and you use the one over 200 that we're using, it kind of compensates, doesn't it? It absolutely yeah. compensates mm-hmm. for that, yeah. Because as you said yourself, you need a really light you know, setup. I personally don't have a very light setup at all. Um, I've got quite a heavy setup, so I'm pretty much, you know, exclusively a double-handed photographer, really, which which I do want to work on and get a, a lighter setup. But at the moment, I need that higher, faster shutter speed because, yes, you're right, when you're holding your, your, your camera, you want to just take the image there and then and not have to have a blurry image. It really helps to avoid the blurry images there with the shutter mm-hmm. speed, okay? Mm-hmm. And then the last thing in what we call the, the, the trial, triangle of exposure, so to say, and exposure is just basically a fancy word of, of the final image, what it looks like, really. Uh, and the, the ISO is, is the last piece of the puzzle, really. So uh, ISO is really about the the, the graininess uh, and the, what we call the noise of the photo, okay? So by noise, I mean, if you know, for those of us, of us uh, who are old enough to remember, do you remember the old Kodak style disposable cameras and, and sometimes you take a photo on a, on a night out or, you know, in, in dark lighting and you'd have these really, you know, old school cameras that are just not great at all compared to what we have today. And you, you get them developed and you see all these little dots that are forming on this on the, on the photograph. That's what we call grain or, or noise, okay? Because it's a very noisy photograph. Not, not literally noisy, but, you know, visually very noisy. And that's what, what, what the ISO is referring to there, okay? So the, the higher the number, the more grain and noise you're going to get in the photo, okay? So, and of course, with dental photography, when we need things to be crystal clear, we want to avoid that as much as possible. And we've got plenty of light coming in. So you want, the reason you would use a higher ISO is because you maybe don't have good lighting conditions. It's in a darker lit room. So you increase the ISO to allow more light, once again, light into the into the camera. But you've got plenty of light. You've got the, the surgery lights, you've got your flash. You don't need high ISO at all. And, and in fact, you want to keep it as, as low as physically possible. And really for Canon, it's uh, it's an ISO 100, which is pretty one of the lowest settings you can get. You don't need that uh, much higher of an ISO and you get a much less grainy photo, pretty much no no noise in the photo. So that's really what ISO is referring to. So so those three things, ISO, uh, your aperture and your shutter speed, those three combined in that in that really careful balance 
when worked in harmony, give you that that well exposed photograph, and, and that's really what we're all after. So yeah, and, and you need to tweak all of these things to get that photo you're after, really. You know, make a mark on your photography. So just because Ray uses certain sayings, or I use mm-hmm. certain sayings, or Richard Field uses certain, or Minas Patel, whoever, yeah, right? Yeah. Once once you start off with someone's settings, and then with your own kit, with your own unique ring flash that you have, the lens you have, the body that you have feel free to experiment based on knowledge you have in terms of, okay, what will increasing the aperture do? What will increasing the ISO? Oh, actually, no, I probably shouldn't touch the ISO because Ray said it's to make a grainy image. Let me actually increase the power of the flash, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely, once yeah. you've experimented, you get an image that is very distinctly you. Like I'm sure you see uh, clinical images on Instagram from great dentists, but before you read the name of who posted it, you know whose image it is because that's their style of photography. Absolutely right. right. You hit the nail on the head. Exactly like you said, I could just tell who's posted that because I think, right, they churn out this kind of photo every time and it looks amazing. You know, it's spot on every time. And it sometimes has that almost dramatic effect or that, that diffused effect that is just so glamorous and a lovely to look at on Instagram mm-hmm, um, mm. that you just know who it's from, you know. Uh, and exactly, you're right. Yeah. You, every every camera, it's almost like a fingerprint, to be honest, Jazz. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. everyone has their own settings, their own unique flash. And you know, every room is going to be different. Even the ambient lighting, the incandescent light bulbs, you know, all of that will all make a difference to your photography. And you know, it's all it's all part and parcel of, of a good photo, and and you will come up with your own style. And you know, just because as you said, one person uses one set of settings, and I use one, it you don't have to stick with that. We all use different things, and that's the beauty of it, really. But whatever you do, decide is a protocol. Write it down, laminate it, and then oh, stick yes. with that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Because uh, unless you change gear, uh, equipment, yeah. because you want to get consistent photographs. Now, I did ask uh, Dr. Alessandro Devigas, who came on the podcast a while ago. He owns dentist.camera Instagram page and just like you said fingerprint in our photos and he was like no 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 don't do that I want uh, one person's mm-hmm. photography in Rio de Janeiro to be the same as the person in Tokyo because this is standardization of photography and I get that as well but there's something beautiful about art there's something beautiful oh, about dental photography as an art and I think we need to be in touch with our artistic side as well so do both make sure you're good at consistency but make you know make sure your your photos make you smile and you're happy yeah, with them. I, you know, I like the look of these photos absolutely yeah because you want to look back on it and think you know what that was that was a good session I got what I needed out of it, and actually, I've learned something from this. And and you you'll feel that 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 satisfaction from your photography, and it, it just it's fantastic. Once you get into the high, you get the bug. Honestly, you get the bug, and you think this is just the best mm-hmm. ever. So let me, uh, you're you're a bit like me, Ray. I bet, <laughs> right? Like, and let me pitch you the scenario. Imagine a day or a couple of days have gone by, and you've just been so busy with your work that you didn't take any photos. I know this day probably doesn't happen very much, but when it does happen, do you, don't you feel you come home and you you didn't enjoy your day? Like a measure of how much I enjoyed my day is the more photos I took, the more enjoyable day I had. Oh, do you find the same? Absolutely the same. Yeah. I mean, it it, it helps not only myself it also makes it a bit more interesting for 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 the nurses that i work with you know it adds that extra kind of diversity to the day you know it doesn't make it you know, as mundane so to say but yeah it, it makes everyone's day go a bit by by a bit better i think it's a bit more fun and and you can have fun with you know with your nurses with your staff members photography you know in your, in your lunch hour or whenever anyone's available you can always practice then and, and it makes it a bit more of a, a a fun thing to do you know you really miss it honestly as you said when you're not doing it for a while you do miss it uh, and it adds that extra flair to, to, to the work that you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's really amazing. And patients love it. Honestly, patients go crazy for this kind of stuff. And, and when you bring out, you know, the, a big setup for the first time, like, I, you know, I've, I've, got, I've got my camera set up right here with all my, my softboxes and things. And, you know, I always keep it, um, as you said, you know, always ready to go at the, at the side of the desk. Uh, and when I bring it out and said, right, are you ready for your photo shoot? And they just, they love it. They think, oh my God, this has never happened before. Like, this is, this is great. And it, it, it adds that extra 
uh, je ne sais quoi, I suppose, to the, to, to the experience <laughs> for the patient. So it's, it's great. Well, as we're coming to the end of this podcast, as we wrap up, just tell us about, well, we could take a couple of directions. We can talk about troubleshooting, but we can also talk about the, the right gear. Where do you want to take the final few minutes as you have the stage now, Ray? You know, yes. What's the most impactful to, to help the dentists who are listening to this? So I suppose it's just about the, the motivation, I think, for me is, is the most important thing. As you said yourself, I find so many colleagues of mine, so many friends, and, and they find that they lose that interest so quickly. And I think a lot of people don't understand the, the, the power and the reach of dental photography. So maybe spending a few minutes just talking about really what, what photography can do for you in your career. Not only just, I think number one, portfolio. We, we all know that for a fact that portfolio is, is a really important thing. To build your build to build your portfolio to be able to to apply for different jobs different positions that that suit your your career and just sort of picture paint a thousand words right but you know other things that people don't even maybe consider um things like monitoring changes in in patients so you can look back so monitoring tooth surface loss that's a that's a really big one uh, I use a lot things like referrals so of course taking photographs of of uh, maybe lesions sinister lesions that you don't know maybe what exactly what it is that helps a triage when you refer off things like even things that if you if we want to go for accreditation for if you want to apply for prizes and things all of these things are reasons why photography is so important uh, and then you kind of you know look at things like education if you want to go into you maybe do a course photography photographing your work is just it's it's all part and parcel of it there's so many reasons to to go ahead with dental photography so for anyone listening out there who is you know a bit a bit concerned about starting a bit shy a bit you know, worried about it. There's so many reasons, so many good reasons. You'd be better off to do it than not to do it, basically. This just kind of summarize with that. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose just going back to, I suppose, you know, things like accessories, things that will help you take it to the next level. So uh, using things like, you know, your mirrors, I've got a few things here. So dental mirrors, quadrant mirrors, things like contrasters, so black contrast that you can use. So the black contraster is uh, this thing which, you know, when you see those lovely photos of anterior teeth and then they've got black background behind exactly, them. Exactly, yeah. It's just a contraster. It's something you yeah, stick behind the teeth. Exactly. Any tip that you have in getting the photos right with that? So with this, um, really it's just a case of getting your nurse to work really well with you. That That is critical for, for me anyway. Working with your nurse to get everything positioned correctly is perfect. So I usually, I get I'll, if I'm taking like a, a close-up of the anterior teeth, I'll get the patient to hold the, um, the actual physical retractors themselves and then get my nurse to hold the contraster behind the upper teeth and and really just getting them used to that positioning that you like and once again it, it, there is no kind of you know shortcut to this it's just about practicing that really what i like to do is hold it up against the occlusal kind of table so instead of kind of letting it hover anywhere just getting it right up against the teeth it stabilizes the contraster and it makes sure that it doesn't move and and you don't get you know bits of soft tissue you know coming up in the photograph or dark shadow is or anything it's just about that consistent positioning so so that's really important you know use your nurse communicate with her communicate with the patient and, and get a really good understanding of how you like things done and just practice 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 really just that yeah that's the best way to go just, about just it. with the contraster actually if you're using ettl and you use a contraster it's going to give you a very overexposed image because the ettl will think whoa there's a lot of black in this photo let me shine as much light as i can and your teeth will look too too bright too white not enough detail so again when you use a manual flash mode like ray does that's when you can take photos of the contraster much better mm, absolutely yeah uh, any other bits of equipment so, uh, bits of equipment uh, so in terms of your, your your quadrant mirrors you want at least two or three of them definitely get a few of them ready because you know things happen they get scratched they break they get lost you know all this kind of things happen so quadrant mirrors occlusal mirrors for those really good occlusal shots 
Black contrast are essential, I think, for really good close-up work, especially when you're referring up, or rather sending photos to the lab, and that's something we didn't uh, cover as well. Lab communication is just so critical, and you, you discuss it very extensively on, on your, your amazing uh, resin on the bridge course as well. You know, communicating with, with, with photos is so good to the lab, so that will really help with that. There's a really good co- um, retractor, actually, that I got from a website called, I think it's called Dentifoto. Honestly, I can't speak highly enough of it, because it's, it's one of those... It's called a C retractor, I think it is, and it's like an all-in-one package where you basically, you know, like normally you have those two retractors that are separate and the patient holds them. With this one, actually, it all combined in one. It's almost got like a loop and it connects both sides of the retractors. So you simply place it in and, and that's it. There's, you've got two hands free, your nurse's hands are free, and the patient's hands are free as well. So actually it retracts everything really wonderfully well. Is it like an Optrigate? Yeah, it's essentially like an Optrigate. I, I think it's, personally, I prefer it over the Optrigate because... It has these little pull tabs on the left and right. So when you want to take a really good kind of view from the side, all the way back to, you know, posterior molars, sixes and sevens, all the patient has to do is hold one side of the tab and pull to the side and it exposes everything wonderfully. And, you know, they got a hand free as well. It just, it makes it so much more easy to, to work with. Optically is good, but when you're going for the side angles, uh, you don't really get, it depending on, on the pace to retraction and how tight the lips are and soft tissues. But you don't get as good as retraction as I find these are. So that's another really good tool to use. But yeah, so the mirrors contrast there. And, and I, I didn't know about that one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check those out. I'm going to buy a few. So I, I can uh, send you a link to that. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah, send me a link. and I'll, I'll put all these on the show notes. Uh, yeah. uh, Ray, we reached the, the end of our time. But man, I, I really enjoyed our chat. It nice to hear about your, your journey. Yeah. And you gave a lot of tips away. And uh, you, you broke down something. We haven't broken down the podcast before, which is the aperture and the ISO. And actually going back to basics with the settings. So cool. um, thanks so much. I, I encourage you guys to follow Ray on Instagram. See his work. Follow his progress. Uh, Ray, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, yes, this is Dr. Ray Panasar. Amazing. Yeah. So check out Ray's work and you'll, you'll see what I mean about you know being a newly qualified dentist with a few years now under his belt and just the work he's doing is, is, is way above that. So keep Thank up. You. More power to you, mate. Keep it up. Uh, and actually, just before you go, Ray, you, you, sh- you, you held up your camera there. Yeah. Uh, just tell us about your current setup right now. Just give a shout out to whoever's bracket you're using, whichever software yeah. you're using, where you got it from. Just complete the, the story of you know where to buy kit from. Yeah, sure. So, so this is my camera uh, right now. So sorry if anyone listening on Spotify, you can't really see it. But um, you can see I've got my 100 millimeter macro lens just here. I've got my Mikey Twin Flash, which is the uh, receiver just here, which sits on the hot shoe, which is basically that kind of plate that you can see on the top of your camera body. Um, and then these are the actual trans- the flashes here. So you got one here and one here, okay? And these are mount- which, these are the ca- these are the Canon twin flash. No, this, ones? Is, no, which, this which is the Micah one. So I don't know if you can see. Micah, ca- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you got the yeah. receiver there. Yeah, the yeah, receiver. You said yeah, Micah, didn't Micah, you? Yeah. It's a German company, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a German company, I believe. Yeah, so my- Micah twin yeah. flash, really good. Mm-hmm. And it's got the wireless speed lights. They call the actual flash pieces there, and it's good because you don't have to worry about you know wires all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's actually mounted on an owl bracket. Okay, so that's what this sort of. Mm-hmm bit of equipment here is and it kind of screws into the bottom of the yeah, it's a bit it's a wing these wings that yeah, hold yeah. the flash and you can exactly. change the angles of them absolutely yeah, yeah. so, so they're, they're really good because what you can do is sort of change the angles as you can see here you can change the angles mm-hmm. of the the speed lights to get different effects of lighting and um, it's just a really versatile bit of equipment and, and as i said once again with this this is sort of my setup for anterior photography so i get my these are mm-hmm. these are called soft boxes these white boxes that sit over the speed lights uh, this white material here diffuses the light to make it a bit softer 
and you don't get that sort of harsh lighting effect that you get with things like with ring, but naked ring flash, what we call. You sound like a chef, you know. You sound like you're just presenting me a dish, and like you know, oh yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. just get that vibe. Yeah, one of the two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so, so that's what you get with 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 my setup here, really. And um, yeah, it's good. I, what, what you could do, as I said before, what you can do is actually, what are the diffusers? Where, 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 what brand are the diffusers? I don't know if you covered. Yeah, that, so these so the diffusers are called the they're the Photo R soft boxes, and I got them from Amazon. Um, shout out again to um, Dr. Celine Higton. She's the one who put me onto these. And they're literally cheaper chips. I think they're about a five or something on Amazon. And they've worked, they've literally, Amazing. they've been so good since since my FD I've used them. Actually, they're a bit awkward to put on because it, they're just, I mean, you kind of pay for what you get for really. They're just sort of a uh, little box. But actually, Amazon is our friend as always. And I've got these little bits of Velcro, double-sided Velcro that actually stick on. And that's how I how I go about my daily photography. Just Velcro. It's all it's all held together. Rubber rubber bands, Velcro, and sticky tape. That's everything, really. So, you know, people think you have to invest a lot in a lot of fancy gear and equipment. You really don't. It's just, I mean, you can see it's just little plastic boxes, really, that that sit over my speed light. So, yeah, I can send you the link for those two. They're they're great, and you know, double sided Velcro will will save the day every day. <laughs> amazing right thank you so much yeah. for sharing that uh, and guys please if, if you if you got this far and you're not into dental photography i'm hoping this episode has given you the impetus to go through those difficult days and those difficult photos to actually get through that uh, tough bit uh, and then discover your path to consistent photography uh, and watch your career uh, just go on a different tra- trajectory you know no think of any good dentist that you know and respect and you know they're taking photos because you've seen their photos part of your self-discovery process and, and, and betterment is is the art of taking photos and it just brings you so much more joy and fulfillment from your career. Ray, thanks for inspiring lots of people. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, Jazz. Thank you. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. All the things that Ray recommended are in the show notes. So if you're on the Protrusive app, if you scroll down, you will see it as well as the CPD question so you can claim your CPD. And we've also made a little cheat sheet for premium subscribers where you can just download like a, a PDF and you can laminate it kind of thing. So that's all there. And as ever, I really, really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. If you found this episode helpful and you're one of the Protrusive that's never left a review for the podcast, I'd really appreciate it. You know, it really helps the podcast to grow so I can make more content. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you same time, same place next week.